It's a big day, the day of our church. We have uh, Matt and Anna Stanley here this morning. Matt is going to be voted on in a week in view of a call here, so y'all need to listen very carefully to his sermon today. Make sure there are no heresies present. Matt went. Matt grew up in Four Oaks, North Carolina, which you all know. It's a big boom town there in uh, North Carolina, about, what, 2,000 people there or so, 2,000 people. Big town like ours. And then at some point came to know Jesus. He can tell you about that in his sermon if he wants to. And then went to Pensacola Christian School to pursue ministry, Christian college, sorry, and then Pensacola Theological Seminary. Somewhere in there, he met Anna, and she married him. And now then they're going to have a child. She's from Dallas, Texas, by the way, where everything is bigger and better in Texas, right? That's right. So I'm just going to say without further ado, you already know all this stuff if you read the newsletter. And if you don't read the newsletter, shame on you. There is one more thing I would like to say to Matt before he comes. Ever since Robert has come on as an elder, Matt and I, out of elder solidarity, have not allowed our hair to grow longer than one inch. So that's something you need to think about before you get on there. <laughs> Come preach God's word to us today, Matt. We are glad to have you here. You are most welcome. Come preach. All right. Well, it's good, great to be here this morning. Uh, my wife and I are very humbled and honored to, to be here with you guys. I wish that we could stay longer. Uh, my wife, Anna, she's sitting right here. She is a teacher, and uh, for some strange region, principals and administrators look down on teachers missing class, so she'll be back on Monday to teach. So we'll be uh, heading back out this afternoon uh, back to Colorado, uh, but we are very grateful and thankful to to be able to be here and looking forward to the opportunity of meeting uh, many of you after, after this when we enjoy a meal together. If you'll take your Bible and turn to Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is where we'll be at this morning. Right, and we're going to begin reading in verses 23, uh, 23 to 28. Psalm 73, beginning at verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you receive me to glory. Who am I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, and that I may tell of your works. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity that you have given us to gather. Uh, what a privilege that we should never take for granted that. And by your, your love and your mercy and your grace, we sit here this morning and we thank you so much. And I pray that you would equip me, Lord, give me the wisdom and words to speak. 
enabling, enabling me to speak in, in a way where we could all understand and grow uh, closer to you in a love for you. And just love you and thank you again for Christ. And we pray. Amen. All right. You know, I'm sure that... Uh, I don't need to go too far. I'm sure many of you at times in your life have come to a point of difficulty. Have come to trials. And, 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 and maybe even to a time in your point that in, in life where you've even questioned God. Questioned what exactly is he doing in this trial in this circumstance is it is it really for my good that that's happening and maybe you've come to a point where you've you've questioned and maybe even doubt and maybe even came to the point where you're ready to just throw in and towel and and, and give up and say it's it's all for nothing what what am i doing Asaph, the writer of this psalm, um, there was a point where he came to that. He, he, was, he was full of envy at others that were around him. He, he was doing God's work. He was a faithful man, doing what God had called him to do. And he looked around him at the wicked, and they seemed to be prospering. They seemed to have it all together. Everything was going just right for them. And he looked and said, that, that's, not, that's not fair. Here I am trusting God. I, I, I'm doing what he's called me to do, what he's asked me to do. And I'm not being, it seems like God's got his hand of blessing on those people. And they're wicked. They have nothing to do with God. And he was really in a point in his life where, as if you would read before in Psalm 73, those previous verses, he was ready to throw in the towel. It was all for void. It was all for nothing, he said. In verse 13, he said, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Uh, for all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would be betrayed to the generation of your children. Uh, he says, look, I, here I am, and it's all for nothing. It's all, for, it's all void. It's all vain. And he has really come to a, a dangerous point in his life and ultimately his relationship with with his God. <laughs> but there's a turning point in Asaph's life. And, and that's what I want to, us to focus on this morning because it does no good to just focus on the negative and, and where he was at at that point in his life because all of us have been there. How do we overcome that? How do we go through that? And I think the only way is to get a proper view of our God. Asaph saw that. Asaph all this was going negative until we get to, um, let's see, where, until we get to verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. There was a turning point in Asaph's life. A turning point that ultimately would transform him, that, that, would, that ultimately would get his attention back on his God. And I don't care what we're going through this morning, what we have been through in the past. Until we do that, until we get our attention off of our circumstances and off all the things that are going around us and place our eyes on him, on God. It's, it's then and only then that we'll have victory. 
in this Christian life. And, um, but who is Asaph? Who is, who is he? There's not a lot in Scripture of who this man was, the writer of this psalm. Uh, he, is, he did write 12 psalms. Uh, he was a Levite of the family of Gershom and one of the three chief musicians appointed by David to preside over the choral services of the sanctuary. Uh, we see that from 1 Chronicles 16.5. And also in, in 1 Chronicles 15, um, we see that he was selected by the Levites to lead music when David brought the ark from Jerusalem. Uh, he was a gifted prophet and a gifted at praise. Um, but obviously he had a problem with envy. But as we look at this this morning, envy is just a surface level sin. It's a serious sin, but there's a root that's there that is aiding that envy, so to speak. And we're going to focus a little bit on that as we go through the, as this, through the sermon. Because um, we would do a disjustice to, to just look at his problem of envy and not see the root problem that he is, he is ultimately facing. Uh, as we, as we go um, through here, we're going to look at four qualities uh, this morning as we look at this passage and break it down. Four qualities that ultimately transformed Asaph's life to, to get a, gain a proper view and an awe of who God, who God is. Uh, the first is the presence of God. He recognized the presence of God. In verse 23 Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. The presence of God. So many times we understand the omnipresent, that God is omnipresent. That he's everywhere, uh, that everywhere he chooses to be in every, every, every part. Even here in this, in this sanctuary this morning, God is here. And we know that theologically we, can, we understand that. We know that. But do we know that practically? Do we know that when circumstances don't look so good, that he promises that he'll never leave us or forsake us? He promises that he'll, he's there with us. Um, I think of Joseph in the Bible. Uh, you know, if, if anyone had the right to just say, this is pointless, this is all in vain, what, what am I doing? I, I'm doing what God has called me to do. But time after time and time again, we see Joseph's life where his brothers hate him, wanted to kill him. Uh, uh, we see that, that he was, um, they, they, he, they, they thought that uh, Potiphar's wife accused him of being immoral with her and they threw him in prison. And then while in prison, he was promised by the others in there, the baker, oh yeah, when I go out, the butler, when I go out, I'll tell the others about you, and you'll be free, you'll come out, and they forgot him, he forgot him. And time and time again in Joseph's life, we see that um, he, if anyone had a right, he sure, surely would have that opportunity to say, this is for nothing, what, what is God doing? But over and over again, we see a phrase in the book of Genesis, in the life of Joseph, that keeps appearing. And it's, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And, 
And, and, and honestly, that's, that's what gave Joseph the strength to enable him to do what he could not do. The Lord, the omnipresent, the God was with him. I think of Job. Obviously, we've read the book of Job. You, you know his life was um, one of great suffering. He was an upright man, one that loved the Lord. And God allowed this to happen to Job. And, well, we know all the things that he went through in losing his children and ultimately his wife saying, just curse God and die. It's all for What are you doing? And in the midst of all of that, in Job 23, in Job 23, verses 8 and 10, he said this, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. So Job could just say, look, where is God? I look all these places. What is he doing? How is he working this out for ultimately his good, his purpose? How is this? What is this? And in verse 10, he says this. But he knows the way I take. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what the purpose in all of this is. But Job says, he knows. He, he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Job recognizes that, that God was in that situation. He was in that trial. He was in that circumstance. And ultimately, he was going to work it out for his good, for his glory he was going to work it out. And, and that is what could bring Job comfort. And that's what could bring us comfort, is knowing that no matter where we're at, no matter what we're facing, God is in control. He's sovereign, and he knows the circumstance. So we see the, the presence of God that helped Asaph. Second, we see the protection of God in verse 24. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. There are many ways to be guided by counsel. I'm sure many of us in here uh, at times have maybe received bad counsel. And, and we have seen maybe where the results, the fruit of that. Um, but it's comforting to know that here in, in this passage, Asaph is receiving the right counsel. He says he is being guided by, his, by God's counsel. He, he, is, he is recognizing that the only way to overcome, the only way to, to, to see what exactly is how, what God is doing and to, be, and to have that joy is to know to be guided by God's counsel, to allow him to lead his life and not Asaph. For up to this point, Asaph was leading his own life. Asaph was was looking through the lenses, so to speak, of his point of view, of his perspective, and was not relying on God. There is great strength um, and victory when we learn to, to, to rest in the counsel of his word through the circumstances of life. Psalm 91 verse 1 says, He who dwells in the shelter the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. There is comfort. 
there's security. He, he knows about our storms because he allowed them to come our way. And, and, and we need to realize that the storms of life, as horrible as they may be, can never rip us from the hand of God. He will guide us through them and ultimately bring us to glory. Uh, Romans uh, chapter 8 verse 1 is a beautiful picture of this. Uh, and we'll look at an example uh, from that here in just a moment. But in Romans chapter 8 verse 1, um, Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, no wrath to come. For, for those who are outside Christ, who are, who are not saved, there is, there is condemnation. There is wrath that will come. But, but Paul says, for those of us who are saved, those of us who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. What a beautiful, and, and a really, I think to, to set this even more, I, I know um, Brother Brad has been going through uh, Genesis, um, and, um, but in Genesis chapter 7, uh, we have a horrific scene that has taken place with, with the flood that's flooding the, flooding the earth and Noah. And, and in chapter uh, 7, verse 16, it says, and, and those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that they didn't come to this point. And, he, and God says, okay, Noah, I have some spikes here. What, what I want you to do is I want you to nail these on the outside of the ark. And it's going to get rough. It's going to get really bad. I'm destroying everything around. And the waters are it's going to rise. It's going to get rough. But, but if you and your family can hang on to those, those spikes, you could just hang on and, and not let go. Look, you'll be fine. You'll make it. I'm glad they didn't say that. The, the Bible says that it shut them in. And what it meant for Noah and his family to be shut in the ark, it means for us to be in Christ Jesus. We're safe. We're secure. The Bible says we're sealed into the day of redemption. We're no longer uh, uh, going through life in our own works, trying in our own ability to do and accomplish salvation, accomplish security. We have the Spirit of God that enables us to do what we cannot do. And we're thankful for that. So we see here that Asaph recognized the presence and the protection. And then thirdly, in verses 25 and 26, he saw the person of God. In verse 25, Whom have, have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fell. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Asaph is now turning his attention and his eyes off of the glitter, the sparkles of, of this world that, that ultimately used to attract him. And now he's, he's seeing God for who he is. He, he's seeing the person of God. Who, who am I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire. There, there's nothing else. Used to, this wasn't before. If you read the beginning of Psalm 73, he was attracted to all those things that the, uh, the, the wicked seemed to have. 
Everything was going well for them. That's what caught his attention. That's what gave him a, de- that's what his desire was, was toward. But now he's, he's seeing, he has seen now the, the person of God. That, that's his desire. That's his ultimate goal. Peter, and um, obviously there's been times, and obviously if you read the Gospels uh, time and time again, we, we see failures in the life of Peter. Um, but there came a time where that turned around for Peter. And he saw Christ for who he was. And if you read Peter's writings, First and Second Peter, there's a word in there that he often mentions to describe Christ. And it's the word precious. Christ was precious to Peter. He loved him so much. And and in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 21, he says this, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. He was precious to him. You know, th- this, these, these words here are turned around in the days and times that we're living in now. He, he says the corruptible things, the silver and gold. You go out here, these doors, and, and you go out and just meet anyone in general. Uh, silver and gold, money, that, that's not corruptible to them. That's just precious. How many times do you see roadkill on the side of the road and say, well, that blood's precious? Blood's, ugh, blood? No. That's, that's, that's dirty, that's nasty. We don't talk about that. But Peter here is saying those things that ultimately are temporal, that we think bring us happiness, that bring us joy, it's corruptible. It's nothing. But when we see Christ and see what he did for us on the cross, his blood that redeemed us, that brought us back, that gave us eternal life, that's precious. And and Asaph has come to the point, and he's seeing now all these things that he thought that would bring him happiness, all these things that he thought that he envied after. He said, "That's, that's what I want. Why can't I get that? He's starting to see now that that, that Christ, that, that he's starting to see that, that God is what he wants, is what he desires. And no, none of these things outside of that will ultimately bring him joy. And in uh, the next verse, he says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He starts to see his desire. His desire now is for God. And now he gets to the point where he sees himself for who he is. Once we, once we see God for who he is, the awe and the wonder and the majesty, we start to see ourselves for who we truly are. A, a great example of this is in Isaiah chapter 6, when a, Isaiah beholds the, the majesty and the glory of God, what, is, what does he say? He says, woe is me. 
I'm a man of unclean lips and dwells among a people of unclean lips. Who am I? I'm nobody. I'm nothing compared to, to him. And when we get a proper view of that, when we see God for who he is, and we have that awe of who he is, we start to see ourselves for who we are. And Asaph says, look, my heart, my flesh, it fails. I make mistakes. It's easy to compare each other with one another. Well, I'm not as bad as them. Well, I do that, but they don't do that. But when we compare ourselves to God for who he truly is, we can't help to not be in awe that, that he would desire to have a relationship with me, that he would desire fellowship, that he would redeem me. What a beautiful picture of his grace. A heart that desires nothing but the Lord is a heart that will never be disappointed. When we get our eyes off the Lord and start to lust of the things of this world, we become dissatisfied and discouraged. But when we want nothing but God, we are sure to have everything we want and ever will need. So we, we see here the presence and the power in the person of God. And we're going to wrap up this morning with the perception of God. In verse 27 and 25, the perception of God. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Finally, Asaph has now reached the point of seeing it from God's perspective. And it's really an order of events. We see here, he's recognized the presence of God and the power that comes with that. He has seen the person of God. And when you see the person of God, you see a proper perspective of yourself. And that leads way and creates a proper perspective of the situation, of what's going on. And Asaph has come to that here in these last two verses. He is realizing now what God's purpose and plan is. And he's realizing now that God had a purpose all along. And that ultimately God is doing this for his good and for his glory. The word here, um, unfaithful, in the, in the original has the, the condemnation uh, it likens the riches of a woman on the streets. Her face and form might be a fair and alluring, but as disease and dishonor and death that are her final gifts. The person who turns his back upon God to lust after the wealth is like a man lusting after a harlot, is the picture that is painting here. And I don't think we would ever go out and say, well, that's not true, but how many, and do that, but how many in our lives has been a reflection of that? How many times, I wonder, that we see things that we think ultimately would bring us happiness, but ultimately leave us empty and dry and, and steal and rob the joy that God desires for us to have in Him. The psalm. Uh, in Psalm 73, the psalmist returns to a problem which vexed David in Psalm 37 and, and puzzled the anonymous author of Psalm 49. The age-long problem of seeming prosperity of the wicked 
and the equally vexing of the parallel problem of the suffering of the godly. Um, the problem is taken up in each of the three books of the psalm here and, and finally resolved here in Psalm 73. But in Psalm 37, the emphasis can be summed up with the word wait. Have patience and faith. And in Psalm 49, the emphasis seemingly throughout the whole psalm is watch. And then when we get here to Psalm 73, when it's ultimately wrapped up with Asaph, it is that of worship. Understanding who God is and being in awe of Him and wonder of Him. But it never starts with envy. Asaph's problem, he had a problem with envy, but that wasn't his root problem. That wasn't the the real issue, the underlying issue. He had a problem with, really, the awe and the beauty of, of God. Of seeing him for who he truly is. Every single one of us were created to be in awe of, of something. To, to worship something. Every single one. And, and so when we misplace that, when, when we misplace that, we try to fill that void with something else. We, we try to fill that void with things that we think make us happy. Maybe money or, or maybe a, a great job or a nice house or maybe... Uh, and nothing wrong with all these things. But even in the case of uh, the world with, with drugs or illicit immoral behavior, things that ultimately they think it may bring temporal satisfaction and temporal happiness, but ultimately does not fulfill the joy that God has for his people. And so it's, and Asaph had come to this point, and he has seen now that Ultimately, the joy that will truly make him happy and the joy that ultimately comes from God is found in him and in him alone. And what a beautiful picture here of, of really ultimately God's grace. You know, we look at, we look at Asaph's life and, and how he ultimately turned around and, and, and he, he, he's, he's now looking at it from God's perspective but I can't help to see God's patience and long-suffering in all of this. How merciful, how, how gracious he was to Asaph. He didn't give up on Asaph. He, oh, Asaph, or, why are you envying out of all of these people who are wicked? Yeah, they, they seemingly have money. They seemingly have it all going for them. It really shows a sign of ungratefulness that he's not thankful for what God had already done for him. But God didn't write him off. What a beautiful picture of grace. And every single one of us that are in here this morning, we've we've made mistakes. We've we've come short so many times, but I'm thankful for God's grace. The fact that we're sitting in here this morning, a beautiful testimony of God's grace on our life. But just to encourage you this morning as we're wrapping up, that no matter what we go through, the difficulties or the trials in this life, when we gain a proper perspective of who God is and see him for who he, who he truly is, as, as Asaph did, it's then and only then when we'll have victory over those trials. 
we'll have a victorious Christian life in him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the testimony of scripture. And Lord, we just pray that you would be with each and every one of us as we go throughout the day, out the week, the month, and the years, that we would remember ultimately your grace is sufficient. And although we we don't understand at times what you may be doing, that we can trust you and know that although we don't have the answers you do, and we can rest and find comfort in that in you. And just be with us the rest of this morning and today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for that word, Matt. If you'll stand with us, we're going to sing a song. Give us an opportunity to think about the things which we have heard. Don't forget, directly following the service, we're going to have lunch. And after we sing here, I'm going to give some instructions about getting this.